Our precious Father in heaven, as we open our minds this afternoon to another topic on marriage and relationships between husband and wife, Lord, we invite your presence to continue with us. We know that you established marriage to be a blessing, and the enemy of souls has sought to make it anything but a blessing. And so today, Lord, as we deal with some very serious, serious issues and some matters of the heart, we pray for wisdom and guidance from above. Give our minds the clarity that we need, and may this place today be filled with hearts that are willing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God is good all the time. God is good. Here we are. Yesterday we talked about, and we did some role-playing yesterday in our seminar called To Have and To Hold On. Now the reason why I titled the seminar To Have and To Hold On is because not many people hold on. Some people say to have and to hold, but not to have and to hold on. Today, we're going to continue on the topic of to have and to hold on. Tomorrow, we're going to deal with conflict resolution, but today, we're going to cover an area that is simply titled, The Ten Reasons Why Marriage Relationships Disintegrate. The Ten Reasons Why Marriage relations, relations Disintegrate. But in finishing up yesterday, we talked about communication. And one of the very important points about communication, which we talked about, is when, you're, when you are listening to your husband or you're listening to your wife, listen, what's the word we kept using yesterday? Starts with the letter E. Empathetically. Because we are naturally what? Egocentric, meaning we often do things based on our own desire and what we feel is best for us. So when you listen empathetically, don't jump into battle mode even if you disagree with what your spouse is, with, with, with what your spouse is saying. Because what we tend to do is we tend to be not only egocentric, but defensive. And then we tend to try to set things straight or set the record straight. So if our spouse says something, and my wife and I have been there before, I mean, after 35 years, if you've been married for any length of decades, you know you've been in all those categories. Sometimes you want to be uh, conciliatory. Other times you want to be defensive. Other times you want to feel that what is being said about you is not correct or what, what is being said about you is so correct that you want to hide, like Adam and Eve, hiding themselves in moments of transgression. And so we tend to be the kind of people that dive into battle mode rather than being conciliatory and uh, making, it, making uh, our points, points where we can bring uh, reconciliation, where we can bring uh, agreement, where we can bring unity. Another point that uh, I'm bringing up, and I know that when they when they do the seminars, uh, what you're seeing on the screen is not necessarily on the final recording because they do switch back and forth between my face and what's on the screen. So you won't just think that um, I'm disappearing in lieu of the slides. The other thing we do in empathetic listening, what's number 11? Say that with me. Clarify your understanding. Now this is the person that's on the listening side. Clarify your understanding. In other words, it seems to me that you're feeling disappointed because. Is that correct? 
It seems to me you're feeling disappointed because. And uh, Dr. Gary Chapman points out that some people's responses are disappointed. I'm just downright angry. I'm not just disappointed. I'm terribly upset. And he says, prepare yourself for that kind of response. Because sometimes when we insert a particular word, the other person who's on the, the giving end will tend to respond, disappointed? Is that what you call it? I'm upset. I'm angry. I want to break something. I want to walk out on you. And there are many people that have gotten to the point where they want to end it all. They want to throw in the towel. They want to give up because they are at a place where they've, where they've been before and they don't believe they're making any headway. So the other party sometimes might say it almost in a condescending way. It seems to me that you're feeling disappointed. Disappointed? Is that what you call it? Disappointed? I'm angry. So be very careful because we have this, what I call this off and on switch. In counseling, you have a, a we pendulum swing. Well, sometimes we go all the way to the left side, passive, and all the way to the right side, aggressive. And anywhere in between would be acceptable, but we tend to go all the way from passive, yeah, right, whatever, to aggressive. That ain't right. And so be careful because remember, there's a saying that I institute, that I, I didn't institute, but I inserted. We win together or we what? Lose together. We are all on the same team. You ever watched baseball before? When the pitcher is pitching and he's just kind of lost his strength to, to throw a strike and the other team is hitting everything he throws. The pitcher doesn't come out and fire, the, the coach doesn't come out and fire him. He says, we just need a little change. So they come out realizing they're on the same team because every decision they make, they either win together or they lose together. So when you're in that moment of passion and you're communicating, my wife and I have been there before. Uh, sometimes she has said it. Sometimes I've said it. Sometimes I've said, honey, honey, we're on the same team. Yeah, you're right, John. And sometimes she has said it. And when she goes like that, I could tell. Okay, you're right, you're right. We're, it's us, not anybody else. It's us. Yes, I got it. I remember. Because one thing I've learned as a re relationship coach slash counselor, I learned the hard way not to be my wife's counselor. <laughs> and don't use phrases like, honey, take a deep breath. Just take a deep breath. Ready? Ready? One, two. And on, on number three, you hear this frying pan just breaking the air. Husbands, some of you, guys are compartmental to some degree. We can get really angry. A guy can argue with another guy, and after they're done arguing, hey, let's go to lunch. But a woman have an argument with another woman? It could be like 40 years. And every time they see her, I remember. Or if you expect, like one person said, um, men never win arguments. That was one counselor's approach. He said, Men never win arguments. And man, if you ever think you won the argument, it's not over. Now, that's the general consensus. But that's not what we want as Christians. Amen? We don't want to live in a home where the mama bear is happy, everybody's happy. It's mama waves or nobody else's ways. We want to live in a home where everybody has that equal footing, that equal territory. We're not living where, uh, like the, the war between India and Pakistan. If you ever looked into that, my wife and I have traveled quite a bit, and we've we said, well, what's the difference between Pakistan and India? Well, they said, well, the difference is every year the border 
the line between one and the other keeps shrinking. One takes more as the other one, one takes more than the other one wants to give. In the very same way, some of us are becoming the Sahara Desert by default. All of our vegetation is drying up. And the desert part is getting larger and larger and larger. Why? Because we are not nurturing our relationships with the dew and the peace and the rain of God's grace. But if you pour into that relationship what God intends, and let me make this point, it's not easy. Say that. It's not easy. Human emotions are not easy to deal with. People's mindsets are not easy to deal with. But if you want success, don't be fearful of the pain of rebirth, but say, after this painful process, we will be, quote-unquote, in our relationship, born again. We will be stronger than we were before. You know, sometimes in the building of your relationship, you may slam your proverbial finger with your own comments. It might happen. That means sometimes you want to drive a point home. Let me make it clear. You want to drive a point home, but you end up hitting your own finger in driving the point home. So be careful. As another counselor said, whatever you say, make it soft and sweet because one day you may have to eat it. All right. Let's go to the next point. Your spouse may agree or may say, disappointed, how about hurt, angry, angry and frustrated. Also have an affirming nod. Having an affirming nod from you will communicate, in spite of all the tension, I am hearing you. How many of you want to be heard? Remember, 87% of relationships break up because the other one feels that he or she is not being heard. That's why you have that saying, friends, Romans, and countrymen, what? Lend me your ear. And the Bible even says in Revelation seven times, he that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. It really comes down to what you, whether you want to hear. Or you could be like the rebellious Israelite leaders. Hearing they will hear and not, and not understand. Seeing they'll see, they'll see and not perceive. So their perception and their understanding is dull because he says their ears have they closed and their eyes have their closed. They have closed. So we don't want to close our eyes and close our ears and we don't want to be the kind of people that when our spouse is talking internally we are saying no, 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 no. You know, we're just standing there, but we're letting everything that they say bounce off of us. We want to be a people that seek after peace. When you seek after peace, not only seek after it, but when you contribute to it. When you do what? When you contribute to it. When the number one purpose for your arguing or disagreement is, okay, but, but can we find a point where we can find some peace? Now, be careful not to run there too quickly. Because sometimes you've got to give, and in many cases, Husbands, sometimes you have to give your wife room to vent. And sometimes you have to give your husband room to vent. Don't, the moment they say something, cut them off and say, but can we find peace? Because you know what? Unless you address the issues, you really can't come to a point of peace unless you know what you have peace from or about. You get my point? Some people don't want to talk about the issues because the issues may, be, may come across as you are being undressed emotionally you are being undressed morally. You are being undressed in the way you live your life. And one thing we don't like to be is we don't like to be undressed. That's why Adam and Eve hid themselves. When they fell into sin, what did they do? They were naked. And whenever you feel that you're becoming naked emotionally, you want to hide yourself. You don't want to talk about it. 
It's an embarrassing thing. You're seeing me for who I am, and it doesn't, it doesn't make me feel good. So we tend to ignore it and want to go to the resolution right away when, when the wife or the husband might say, if you just listen to me, honey, we'll have peace, but i got to tell you what the problem is, at least from my perspective. So don't try to seek peace without understanding what you're going to get peace about. Did you get that? Talk about, talk the issues out. Talk the issues out. Don't run past the issues and try to get resolution. Talk the issues out. I've learned that. I've learned that. And because um, men are compartmental. Somebody once said men are like ice trays. This, this cubicle is for work. This cubicle is for how home. This cubicle is for vacation. So we can switch in a moment from marriage to vacation to office. Men are like ice trays. Women, they're spaghetti. It's all mixed together. When they're angry, they're angry about everything. And by the way, you know, they start on one... And by the way, while I'm at it, I don't like the fact that you didn't have white strips on. <laughs> we had fun yesterday. That was fun. I really liked that, the way you handled that. You just kind of stood on his heels. And you know what? And when you let them go, sometimes they've been holding that for like months. They've been waiting for the moment when their husband decided, can I speak? Can I speak? We were in, we were in the garage once in our house, and we, we had a particularly challenging week. We don't have children, so if we have fun times, we have fun times together. If we have difficult times, we have difficult times together. So here I am in the garage, getting out of the car, and I don't know what happened that day, but my wife says, you're not listening. You're not listening to me. And we have, I had groceries in my hand. I put the groceries down. I leaned against the car between us, and I said, honey, just go ahead and tell me what's on your heart. Forty minutes later, because <laughs> I didn't want to interrupt, but let me ask you a question. Truly, while you're listening, come on, guys, admit it. There's a volcano growing inside of you. You're like, okay, kill me, shoot me, de you know, decapitate me, but stop somewhere. <laughs> but you take it because you want to, you know why I took it? You know why I took it? Because I want my wife to know, you know what, husbands, sometimes it's better for you to go through those uncomfortable moments to bring your wife through a dark tunnel into clear air where she can say, finally, you let me breathe. Because really, if you really boil it down, the woman wants to know that you, you are supportive, that she can breathe and express herself just as much as you want to breathe and express yourself. Right, honey? You know, and we learn that. We're both passionate people. We both come from passionate families. She's not dead and I'm not dead. But that's a good thing, because when I hear couples that say, we never argue, I say, one of you is brain dead, right? Because there's no way that both people always agree. There's no way. We have never argued. I've heard people say that. We've been married 26 years. We've never argued. And I thought, wow, I feel really badly for you. Not that you have to argue. Maybe, maybe you might be angels transported to earth. 99.9% .9 that's not true. 
But somebody who doesn't feel the freedom to express him or herself may have a peaceful home, but it might as well be a mausoleum because one of you is dead. And some guys say, like the Dead Sea, remember the Dead Sea? I just want to keep the peace. I just want to keep the peace. But he's not happy. Huh? Oh, yes. The term, and my wife and I, we know this so much, that guy is called a happy doormat. Because the wife is walking all over him and he doesn't really care because she feeds him, she makes up his bed, she washes his clothes, his T-shirts are all folded. He doesn't really care. He's coasting to his grave. He doesn't really care. I just want to be happy, but she's walking all over him. Or vice versa. You don't want that. You want to have a home where you both can laugh together, can disagree together, find common ground of agreement. And you know what? It is not always, it's not always necessary to completely agree on a particular issue. But once you come to the point where you can see it, because what we talked about yesterday is what you want to do is you want to give your chance, give your spouse a chance to express herself so that you can at least see it her way and give him a chance to express himself so you could, you could, you could at least see it his way. Because if two people stand on a corner where a car accident took place, you ever read those car accident reports? They don't necessarily agree because one person stood on that corner, the other person stood on that corner, and they both gave the same, a, a different descriptions of the car accident. But the bottom line they can agree on, like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one said Jesus rose at the dawning of the day, one said while it was yet dark, the other one says at the rising of the sun, and people that don't believe the Bible want to use that to say, hey, the Bible doesn't harmonize. You know what I say? You know what they all say? He rose. Amen? They all agree he rose. So sometimes we might be able to pull one little piece of that discussion out and say, honey, at least we made it home. We made it home. Didn't like the food. You know, we had an anniversary celebration in Sydney, Australia just recently, our 35th anniversary. And we did this. You know, guys, let me give you a hint. Ladies, this is for you. Guys, when your anniversary comes around, take your lady out. Celebrate. Let her know she's special. Spend some money. Moolah. Spend some money. Don't say, honey, it's been 35 years, but we still have bills to pay. Let that day be a day where she feels like the queen. And you remind her all over again how much you love her. Ah, thank you very much. Because we went to Sydney. We were in Sydney, Australia. We were invited to New Guinea. We were there for about 13 days. And we went right from there to Sydney, Australia. And we celebrated our 35th anniversary in a restaurant at the Sydney Opera House. The word expensive is not the word. Did not like the food. They don't think very much about people that don't eat meat. And we tried our, and they, they did their best to put something together for us. Nearly $300 later, we said, what do you have as far as a dessert is concerned? So we settled with the fact that we ate at the Sydney Opera House. But were we full? Absolutely not. So sometimes you might have a fulfilling, sometimes you might have a non-fulfilling experience, but at least you enjoyed yourself together. Summarize your understanding of your mate's thoughts and feelings. Here's how you do it. What am I, what, 
am I understanding you to say that you are hurt and angry because you feel I let you down by not, and then you follow by not doing what? Is that correct? And if it is correct, well, good, you're listening carefully. If it's not correct, your spouse, whichever one, wife or husband, will continue expressing what they express. When your spouse indicates that you understand what he or she is thinking and feeling, you are ready for the most important step in empathetic listening, and that is what? What's the bold word there? That is what? Affirmation. Affirmation is something we need spiritually. Affirmation is something we need relationally. And affirmation, by the way, is not just something that is only uh, confined to marriage, but people that you worship with. Sometimes they need affirmation. And one of the reasons why people come to church and don't feel the freedom to share their hurts with another brother or sister is because rather than affirming them and praying for them, we talk about them. So instead of talking about a person's problem outside of your marriage, my wife mentioned this yesterday, but just in case you missed it, we don't talk about each other to anybody else. Well, we had a person in our church always complaining about her husband. And so we said, does he do this? No. Did he do that? No. Does he do that? No. Does he do that? No. I said, consider you have the best of the worst. <laughs> you have the best of the worst? <laughs> yes, yeah, does he beat you? Does he cheat on you? Does, is he cheap? No. And I forgot what the other thing was. No, 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 no. You got the best of the worst. And I said, you know, I said, he's an elder in the church. By tearing down him to other people in the church, you are destroying the ministry that God wants to do through him on minor issues. And when I found out what the issues were, it was simple issues that were just really selfishly geared. I want this, and he doesn't want to give it to me, so I'm going to irritate him until it happens, and it really never happened. It really never did. Let's go quickly. Affirm your spouse's thoughts and feelings verbally. Don't just do that, mm, yeah, I got it. Say, I hear you. It seems to me that you're feeling disappointed because, is that correct? Yes. Do that. Let me go to 14, and uh, I want to I move quickly here today because there's 10 things I want to get to. The other one, after you've done all the affirmation, the one thing you want to do very quickly, let's say this together. Request permission to share your perspective. Now, you might have been waiting 35 minutes or 40 minutes to do that, but... So here's how you do it. You don't say, are you done yet? You say, honey, is it okay that I share with you how I feel about the same issue? Say it humbly. Is it okay if I could share with you how I feel? Because I have a little different view. Sure, go ahead and be ever so humble. Don't start from zero to 60. Be ever so humble. You know, do it like a bicycle. Gradually build up your speed. But feel comfortable. And remember, whatever you're saying means you win or you lose together. Once your spouse knows that you are invested in their thoughts and feelings, they feel the liberty to invest in your thoughts and feelings. Isn't that wonderful? And the principle behind that is here. Luke 6.31, let's read that together. Are you ready? Here we go. Do to others as you would have them what? Do to you. Remember, my mother-in-law taught me this, and you may have heard this before. She says, when you're pointing at people like that, there are three fingers pointing back at you. Examine yourself to see whether or not you are standing on solid, solid footing. Now, are you ready? Top 10 reasons relationships disintegrate. Now, 
I'm not going to be lighthearted here. I'm going to be very serious. Because these reasons have led to divorces prematurely, husbands walking out on their wives, wives walking out on their husbands, homes disintegrating, children being left to fend, and, 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 and this lifelong battle between husband and wife, child one weekend in this home, the next weekend in that home, and a long train of regrets and pain and heartache. So we're going to go through these, ten, these top ten reasons why relationships disintegrate. We're not just going to talk about them, but what I'm going to do today, which I believe I'm going to give you some Bible support on how to handle it, and also one of the best books that I would rec uh, recommend couples read is Adventist Home. Adventist Home. Inspired straight and to the point, and let me tell you, God's servant, Ellen White does not cut corners. And neither does the Bible. All right, reason number one, not in any particular order, not the most important to the least important, but just the top ten reasons. The first one is what? Say it with me. Lack of trust. If there's anything that you can put at the top of the list, that will give relationships strength. It's a five-letter word. Let's spell it together. T-R-U-S-T. Trust. And trust, once it's eroded or once it's damaged, it takes a while to rebuild. It takes a while to rebuild. Depending on the infraction, it may take longer. And so while we want it to recover immediately, sometimes it takes a while to rebuild. And you have to bear with that. If it's the husband waiting for trust to re be rebuilt in the wife, or the wife waiting for trust to be rebuilt in the husband, give them room for that trust to be rebuilt. Can I get an amen to that? Lack of trust. Look at what Ellen White says in the book Adventist Home. And she talks about this in the chapter called Moral Standards, page 238. She says, It was Satan's studied effort in the antediluvian age to pervert the marriage institution to weaken its obligations and lessen its sacredness. What are the three things? Pervert, weaken, and lessen. Say that with me. What else? Pervert, weaken, and lessen. Pervert the institution, weaken its obligations, and lessen its sacredness. For in no surer way could he deface the image of God in man and open the door to misery and vice, perversion, weakening, and lessening. When the, when the institution is perverted, when the obligations are weakened, and when the sacredness is lessened, trust is what is injured. And that's Satan's, that's Satan's purpose. So notice this. Not only has that been happening through the, air, through the ages, and we'll uncover some of the reasons and the other nine reasons, not only has that, not only, not only has that been happening through the ages, but Satan has taken particular focus on the marriage in the last days because he knows he's got the Sabbath all distorted. The world does business on Sabbath. The Sunday churches don't support Sabbath. So he says, now what am I leaving out? So he attacks the marriage. And so today we have same-sex marriage. We have man with man, woman with woman. But then we have something that seems to be almost ignored. We have multiple divorces and multiple remarriages in Christianity. 
And the, and the statistics for remarriage and divorce are, are similar to the world in the church. You know why? Because people will rather throw each other away than work through the difficult issues. My wife and I once, we've said this on different occasions to each other, we've had some passion. You know, we, got, we have passion. We love each other. But when we have difficult issues that we talk about and the Lord gets us both on our knees, I said to my wife and she said to me, I'm not doing this over again. I'm in this for the long haul. Amen? We're in this for the long haul. That's why we have this. We engrave this on a, we engrave this on a, silver, on a silver picture frame. And whenever we walk into our kitchen, we see it on the wall. To, come on, together, forever, eternity in view. Because I say, if you believe that the marriage is beautiful now, wait till you see what the marriage will be in a perfect environment. Some have the idea that God's going to dissolve marriages. He's not going to dissolve marriages any more than he's going to dissolve the Sabbath. They were both created in a perfect environment. What's not going to happen in heaven is you're not going to have weddings. Might happen in the new earth, but you're not going to have weddings. Because we're going to be in heaven for a thousand years to review the records preparatory to the final blotting out of sin. And so, nothing more important for my wife that is for me to trust her and her to trust me. And whenever I see that's eroding, I, I do an about face. We get in each other's face. We pray together. We talk about the issues. Because nothing will bring Satan more joy than to pervert the institution, weaken its obligations, and lessen its sacredness. And let me say something. Marriage is sacred. Say that with me. Marriage is sacred. Just as sacred as the Sabbath. Just as sacred. It's a sign between us and God. The Sabbath, the marriage is a sign between my wife and me. That we believe that God has sanctified us. When we know he's sanctified us, then we guard it. And it's very, I'm going to bring out some very sensitive things today. I'm not in the jokey mode any longer. I'm going to bring out some very sensitive things today because this is an issue. Today is our day. That's why we're going to end with conflict resolution. If any of these categories have been damaged in your relationship, we're going to talk about how to repair that. Because God does not believe in divorce. It happens, unfortunately. And if it does happen, the Lord is a God who forgives and heals and restores, but he doesn't believe in it. The first one was lack of trust. Second one, let's look at that. What is that? Suspicion. Things are not always the way they appear to be. But more times than not, they are. Things are not always the way they appear to be. But sometimes more than not, they are. Suspicion. Why does suspicion rise in a relationship? When your relationship with your spouse is weak, it opens the door to suspicion. Because they say things like this. It ain't happening in our house. I wonder where it's happening. I'm trying to find words to communicate something that's very sensitive. If we're not being affectionate, then that affection must be coming from somewhere. And all of a sudden, somebody may be in church or at your job, they might say, 
Hi, Pastor. Or they might say, Good to see you, Sister Loma Kay. And they hug them a little too long. Or they compliment the pastor too much. Or the other men of the church too much. Or he looks at that sister too long. And the wife say, Hmm, Russian, he's rushing, he's Russian and Roman. Rushing hands, roaming fingers. Russian hands and roaming eye. Sometimes nothing's happening, but I tell you, if you can't keep your eyes on your own mate, then your eyes are in the wrong place. But sometimes the devil takes those fractured marriages where nothing really is happening, and then he has room to create what I might refer to as, as a facade. And that facade is sufficient enough for both of you to have arguments as a, who was it that said, I have survived many things that never happened. Some people survive things that have never happened, but in their emotions, it might as well have happened because it has weakened their way of communicating because they don't hug anymore, they don't touch anymore. When they pass each other, they make larger circles. And they say, well, when we met, he was so affectionate, he was so hugging, he don't even touch me anymore, don't even compliment me anymore. Or she doesn't even, hardly wants to make my dinner. When I come home, the dinner is cold, or it's not even any dinner at all, and you're wondering, why is he coming home so late? Well, the boss made me work a little later tonight, and you call and say, well, he's left 15 minutes ago. What he said he had, oh, well, maybe, maybe his car broke down. And you start making up excuses rather than saying, honey, tell me what's going on. Look what Ellen White says about suspicion. In the book, Our High Calling, page 238, the husband or the wife who cherishes suspicion and distrust creates dissension and strife in the home. Neither of them should keep his gentle words and smiles for strangers alone and manifest irritability in the home, thus driving out peace and contentment. By the way, that was a, be a quote at the very end, not a question mark. So what happens? When you stop speaking gently to each other, when you no longer smile at each other, when dissension and strife is more present than a cherishing thought and kind words, what happens? Satan's happy. And what does it do? It drives out peace and contentment, and home becomes a place of irritability. That's why I said a few days ago, that's why there are bars with men in it. And I know if women had a place to go, they would go too. But generally, the woman is at home waiting for her husband to come home, and he comes home five hours later, either drunk or my car broke down, my boss gave me another assignment, I don't know what happened, I was hanging out with the guys. He wants to do anything but come home. And in the very same way, some wives, now the professional wives, we live in a different generation, where wives sometimes call the husband and says, well, I'm not coming home tonight, buy something, maybe order some takeout, because she don't want to come home either. So be careful. Lack of trust and suspicion. Two points of erosion in a relationship. Point number three, say it together, what is it? Not being heard. It's amazing how I was able to get art, you know, get this, uh, these pictures that really illustrate these points, not being heard. I asked the question a moment ago, but I think it fits right here. How many of us want to be heard? Come on, everybody, put your hands up. Everybody wants to be heard. That's why phone bills are so high. Do we make phone calls to ourselves? Everybody wants to be heard. That's why Facebook is exploding. That's why texting, there are billions of texts a day. Everybody wants to be heard. 
They want, they want to know, and that's why people, and this is something that amazes me, and Simon Sinek talks about that. He says one of the greatest stresses among people today is they put, some, they put something on Facebook and nobody says like. And they feel, I know, of one, I know of one person that it almost drove them to suicide because they didn't get a like. They felt nobody liked them because nobody put a like. And they tried to, they thought, well, I might as well check out. But when you feel that you're not being heard, it leads you, it leads you to try to find someplace. Either somebody is pouring into you or you're pouring into somebody else. And when a home is divided, either the spouse or the, the husband or the wife will look for a place to be heard, or the, the, husband of a dis, the, the husband of a discontent relationship will look for another woman to listen to him, or the, or the wife of a discontent husband will look for another man to listen to her. And what happens is they don't want to talk to you anymore because, hey, after a while, it's like, you haven't listened to me for years anyhow. I know people that are in the same house, and they talk like machines to each other. They don't have any real conversation. How was your day? They don't say that like, hey, how was your day? They say, how was your day? Like, what would you like on the menu? Very mechanical. No passion, no compassion, not being heard. Look at the counsel we get. Adventist homepage, 33, paragraph 4. The very expression of the what? Countenance, that's the face has an influence for good or evil. Let me pause there for a moment. Because people can tell by your face whether you feel good about them or not. That's why we talked about listen with, the, listen with the eyes, listen with the mouth, listen with the head, listen with the eyes. Because the expression can either say, I want to hear you or I don't want to hear you. His spirit, his words, his actions, his attitude toward others are unmistakable. If he is living in selfishness, he surrounds his soul with a marillarious atmosphere. That means a diseased atmosphere. While if he is filled with love, with the love of Christ, let me keep going, he will manifest what? Courtesy, what else? Kindness together, tender regard for the feelings of others, and will communicate to his associates by his acts of love, by his what? Acts of love, a tender, grateful, happy feeling. Now, I, I may not get a chance to do it all tomorrow, but I, I also want to talk about the love languages. Learn your spouse's love language. When you learn how to communicate this whole idea, you wouldn't, be, you wouldn't have that space or you wouldn't feel that you're not being heard if you understood a love language. Uh, my wife and I have a love language. Uh, she discovered, wasn't too long ago, because I hug her. You know, I like to look at her. I like to sneak up sometimes behind her and give her a hug. And uh, I think it was last week I was sitting down. I don't know. My mind was kind of in a different place. And I said, she said, John, what's wrong? Are you okay? What's wrong? I said, I just need a hug. I said, I just need a hug. She said, guys need hugs? And she gave me such a hug, it melted my heart. And I just leaned on her head and she leaned on mine. Because you know sometimes when you don't have children, one of the dangers of couples that don't have children is selfishness could easily be instilled. 
you know, we get to the point where we're used to each other. I'm doing my thing. She's doing her thing. Uh, she's getting her things done. I'm getting my things done. And sometimes we could even be sitting down and watching a television program together. We like the HG, te- HG the house channel. Anybody else like to see those houses? You know, we look at the HG channel, then we look at our house, and we say, Ugh. And we say, one day we'll own our own house. But then it makes us get up and, you know, kind of try to do creative things. And we like that. We like to change things around. We went out and bought a new table recently. We had a table that somebody gave us 32 years ago. And we looked at that table after watching the HG channel. We said, that table's got to go. <laughs> right? Because you sometimes, and it comes, because the chair was hard, there was no cushion. And so, you know, we, we kind of, we keep the chairs like when other people come over to add more chairs around our table, but it just lost its luster. So now we got a new table, some chairs, pretty inexpensively. And uh, so when we sit down, we feel better. Got a new table. It makes having dinner together more fun. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Kind of spice it up a little bit. Some of our furniture look like pre-World War II. And you walk in the house and you say, have you been married like 80 years? That's not a part of this. But what I'm saying is, when you start investing, when there's tenderness, there's gratefulness, and my wife and I, we have to guard this because we both are very expressive people. When we start feeling really good, you know, we say, let's go to the mall. Now, some of you guys that live out here, the mall is like 150 miles away. You don't have that problem. But if we go to the mall and just look at stuff, that makes us happy. We don't have to necessarily, necessarily buy anything. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It gives you a good feeling. And you go to the mall, it, you know, it smells good. This, this you know, elevator music. Dun, 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 dun. And you feel happy. And you go home feeling, you get out of the house. Really what it is is just changing your environment. And sometimes what people need is a change of environment so that it takes the space that's between you and pulls you back together. We walk in the mall, we hold hands together, we get an icy together, might get a slice of pizza together. Whatever we want to do, just change the atmosphere. Have fun together. Because you know why? God knew, and I believe this, God knew who I needed, and he knew who my wife needed. And iron sharpens iron. And we have been filing each other down, getting ready for the kingdom. Can I get an amen? But let it work. God sometimes gives you a person as strong as you are to help you become a person that he knows you can always be, to help her become the person he knows that she can be. The other one, the other one. This is something that is vitally important. What's the fourth one? Say it together with me. What? Taken for granted. Don't take each other for granted. Really don't. Because while you might think, and I, t- I, I, use this, I use the example here of the, um, of the antique cars. Uh, whenever we drive to pastor's meetings, we, we drive up Highway 55 in Illinois. And along the way, there's this huge lot where all these old cars, 30s, 40s, well, not 30s, more like 40s and 50s and 60s, old vehicles. But then once a year, when we're driving up that same highway, we see all these old antiques, you know, the 57 Chevy, the Studebakers, all these cars, they're shining like glass. And we thought, wow, that's a beautiful car. And then we sometimes get a chance to see them when they pull aside. They're in, um, in Benton, Illinois, right in the square 
where we live not too far from 3ABN, and they have the hoods up, and we look under there, and we say, what year is this? They said, it's 52. That's a 57. And the, the engine is cleaner than our 2013. And I learned something valuable. Because it's old doesn't mean that it has to be worn out. If we would do to our relationships and not take it for granted, it doesn't have to rust. It doesn't have to die. It doesn't have to fall apart. We don't have to take each other for granted. We don't have to say, well, I'm married to her and she's married to me. And some people just get married and that's it. They forget about maintenance. Some guys don't remember what deodorant is for. You didn't expect that one, did you? Men, take care of yourselves. If it's only Brute 33, a lady likes a guy to smell good every now and then. Doesn't have to be all the time. If you haven't shaved in 36 years, remind her you do know how to shave. If you haven't bought a suit lately, get a new suit. Put the spice back. Because I've noticed this is something that said, and this is the reason I'm saying this, I've noticed that when marriages fall apart and the person that's now single starts looking for a new mate, the very thing that they didn't do for that person that they were with, now they start doing it for the person they're looking for. So I say, yo, hey, hey, Bob, man, what's up with the new suit? The new, man, I'm on Advent of Singles. And if he had only done that for the woman he was with, he would not now be looking for a new mate. Or the woman is now, you know, she's at Jenny Craig. She's at, you know, Woman's International, how to, how to be sharp, got new shoes. And I thought if she had only done that for her husband before they got broken up, they'd still be back together. So whatever you can be, be the best that you can be. Can I get an amen? You don't have to be like anybody else. Just be who you are, but be the best who you are that you can be. Don't be taken for granted. Look at what Ellen White says. Review and Herald, February 2, 1896. And these are old statements, but they have such powerful impact to today. She says, speaking about the relationship, it says, the Bible says, Husbands, what? Love your wives and be not bitter against them. The husband is to be kind and what else? Affectionate. He is to do what? Love his wife as a part of himself and to cherish her as Christ does his church. Now, the reason why this is so important is because husbands tend to, in the statistics of it, husbands tend to be the ones that uh, get all, you know, they get busy in the shop and the building this and fixing that and going out here and maintaining the house and repairing the lawnmower and painting the side. They get all busy in all the things that they can easily do. And the wife is inside, and she's looking out the window, and she says, man, he's always so busy. He's always so busy. And the, the higher points of complaint have been the wife feels neglected. Very few husbands feel neglected. More husbands are glad that they can do their own thing. Usually the wives are the ones that feel neglected. So husbands, cherish your wife as Christ cherishes the church. Ladies, can I get an amen? The other one, this is really important. Reason number five, what happened? They grew apart. That's why my wife and I have Bible studies together. I'm going to leave that up there for a little moment longer. That's why my wife and I have Bible studies together. That's why my wife and I travel together. So that when we have things that we experience together, I don't have to come home and say, 
well, this is how it was. You know why? Because she's there to experience it with me. We grow together. We laugh together. We travel together. We are on the same airline together. And my wife is so passionate about that. We were in Phoenix, Arizona. And for whatever reason, our plane landed really, really late. And uh, I went ahead of her, but I made the wrong turn. And because, you know, you ever see those signs that says gates 1 to 15, 15 to 25, 26 to 31? Well, I missed the arrow. She didn't, though. So I thought I was way ahead of her to hold the gate open. And I ran to the end of the terminal, only realizing I got to number 25, and number 26 was in a completely opposite direction, and she was always already at gate 26. We are so invested to be together. So what happens is she calls me and says, John, where are you? I said, I'm coming in the airport. You ever notice how the airport just stretches when you're tired? It just stretches like it becomes a narrow tunnel. And I'm moving as fast as I could, and I'm pulling my luggage and my backpack is and they closed the plane door with her inside. And she says, but my husband's on the way. They said, ma'am, we've got to leave. We cannot wait for anybody. My wife, I love her. She stood up and she said to the flight attendant, either you let me out or you let him in. I am not leaving without my husband. Right, that's what I'm saying. Now, some wives would have said, honey, I feel so bad that you missed the flight. But surely when you get home two days later, there'll be dinner. My wife said, she stood up. She said, no, I am not leaving without my, either you let him in or you let me out. I am not leaving without him. They let me in. Take a stand for your man. Amen? Because some people, I've seen people travel... I've seen wives say, honey, I'm going on vacation. See you when you get back. What? Few. I can think of the time, maybe on one hand, that when I was involved in ministry, she had to go to Florida to see her mom or something like that. But 99.9% .9 of the time, when she leaves town, I leave town. And even at 3ABN, we have an arrangement. She works for 3ABN Radio, but here's my arrangement. I told them at 3ABN, I said, whenever I get invited to travel, my wife is going with me. If you cannot accept that arrangement, she doesn't have to work here. So whenever I leave, she goes with me, and she doesn't get paid for it. But I'd rather her by my side than substitute her for money. Because what happens is you get so independent, you grow apart. What counsel do we get? Oh, that was awful. We were on the first-class waiting list. We have a lot of miles. We were on the first-class waiting list, and we were sure we were going to get it because there were only three seats left, two of us, and there was another couple ahead of us. What was it? There was, there was one seat. That's right. There was one seat. And um, at that point, we were not expecting to get it. We said, oh, it's okay. We'll just stay in our exit row. We're fine. But I asked the flight attendant, I said, who, who got that other seat? A man and his wife, attractive-looking couple. He went to first class and put his wife in coach. And my wife and I couldn't stop talking about that for the whole flight because we could hear the, you know, the knives and forks clanking and you get the linen napkins. And we know they're whining and dining him because it's from St. Louis to Los Angeles, 
We know he's getting wine and dine, and his wife is sitting next to us right across the row, and all she gets is a cup of ginger ale. And I'm thinking, dog, put your wife in first class. Come on, ladies. Put your wife in first class. And when they got out of the plane, I could see they were in, I could see they were in crisis because him with his full gut now just gets his bag and he walks off and he has an attractive wife and she's like five or six steps behind him. And he's walking like, hurry up. I know you may be hungry, but just hurry up. I'm already full. I'm thinking that to myself. He's not saying that. But I'm thinking, and as I see him come out again, I said, dog, treat your wife with better respect. Can I get an amen? He sat in first class and, you know, would you like some more peanuts? Would you like some more dessert? And you know what? He's not getting up from first class and bringing his wife half the sandwich. He's just enjoying it while she gets pretzels and a glass of ginger ale. But my wife and I, they've asked before, we have one seat left in first class. Would you like it, sir? No, that's okay. I'm sitting with my wife. No amens necessary. <laughs> it's either together or no other way. Look at this. What can be more pleasing to God than to see those who enter into the marriage relation seek what? What's the next word? Together to learn of Jesus and to become more and more imbued with his spirit. Nothing could be more exciting than that. And we, we talk about that. We, we see the growth in each other. And you know what? When we see the growth in each other, we compliment each other. Sometimes as we're praying, um, there are tears in my voice. And I look over at my wife, and there's a tear rolling down her face, and she said, tonight our conversation was so nice. You're right, honey, it was so nice. And I say, Lord, thank you for my wife. Lord, thank you for my husband. Help me to be more tender. Lord, help me to be more considerate. And we pray those things, and when we leave our hotel room to come over here, we feel good. Because we know we've spent time before the Lord, and all we want to do, this is our only aim, all we want to do as husband and wife is we want to be in the kingdom together. I don't want to fly to all these worlds and see Elijah by myself. Because my wife is beautiful now, but I've often said, I know, honey, you want me to put muscles on, but when I get together, when I get to heaven, Samson ain't going to have anything on me. I'm going to be like my friend over here. What's your name again? I'm going to be like Steve. Steve and I are going to say, look out, here we come. I'm, I'm going to grow up, as Malachi says, like stall-fed calves. If, we're this, if we could be this beautiful down here with all this sin, how much more beautiful would the marriage be when we get to heaven? So God has given us the marriage. Let me reiterate this. God has given the husband the wife and the wife the husband so we can understand what he as our husband man has to put up with us. We are his bride. We know the new Jerusalem in Revelation is his ultimate bride, but as the church that he wants to have no spot, no wrinkle, and nothing else, he promises never to leave us and never to do what? Never to forsake us. Try to get to, if I can't get them all today, I'll get them tomorrow. Number six, but I'm going to try my best. Number six, what's the next thing that caused a relationship to disintegrate? What is it? I don't care. That's sad. And that's a perfect picture. I don't care. I don't, I don't care. I don't, want to, I don't care. When you get to that point, it's hard. That's when you start seeking professional help, when you don't care anymore. 
And it takes a while to get there. But when you get to the point where you don't care, now I've said I don't care, but you know what I've said I don't care? I said, I don't care what other people think. I care what you think. That's where don't care comes in our relationship. She said, John, I don't care what other people think. I care what you think. Honey, I don't care what people think. Well, they might get upset that I travel with you. I don't care. You're going with me. Amen? Let's stop trying to please the world around us and stop working to make the, the tie between us stronger. Because when we work to make the tie between us stronger, this is so self-explanatory, don't ever get to the place, don't allow your marriage to get to the place where you don't care anymore. Because when you don't care, it's like you're dead, but you're not buried yet. It's like there's a corpse in the house, and the house, everything in the house just becomes gray. And no matter what you got, it just seems unpleasing. And no matter what you look at, it doesn't matter. No matter where you go, it just has no meaning because you don't care. Don't let your relationship get to the point where you don't care. And unfortunately, Ellen White doesn't say anything about don't care, but she has a number of other quotations. But she does not support an uncaring relationship, and neither does the Bible. Husbands love your wives. Wives submit to your own husbands. Care. Number seven. What's that one? Tell me, what is it? Divided heart. Divided heart. You know, the Bible says, love the Lord your God with how much of your heart? All your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. But the only other time it makes reservation for the heart is when it comes to the wife and the husband. Uh, I'm telling you guys too much about us. And you know it's on video too. That's the sad reason. They're going to go home and like put, write a book about us. I'm giving you so much information about us. But here's, here's the thing that we say. Honey, I just want to pour into your heart. And she says, John, I just want to pour into your heart. And if, 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 if there was something called a spiritual stethoscope and they could examine my wife's heart, I want them to find John in there. And if they could examine my heart, I want them to find Angie in here. Or you call her Angela. Angie is my affectionate name. I want them to find Angie in here. Because, you know, when you're in here, it comes out with compassion and kindness. I like to look in her eyes. I like to say, honey, you're beautiful today. And she goes, oh. And I, and I know I'm going to get a kiss. I know I'm going to get an affectionate hug. And I know I'm going to just be able to, oh, that feels good. That's right, love each other. We've got papers to love each other. You've been given a license to hug. Hug. But here's what Ellen White says about divided heart. The happiness and prosperity of the married life depend upon the, what is the next word? Unity of the parties. How can the carnal mind harmonize with the mind that is assimilated to the mind of Christ? It cannot. You should control your thoughts. Together, you should control your thoughts. This is not an easy task. This will not be an easy task. You cannot accomplish it without what? Close and even severe effort. In other words, oh, you know what? Yet God requires this of you. It is a duty resting upon every accountable being. You are responsible to God for your thoughts. Men, let me talk to the men real quickly. Men, I don't know if you notice it, but the world has been designed to make men carnal, to condition the man's mind. Have you been to the mall lately? 
Have you gone to the malls where they have these gigantic stores with lingerie? And, and it's, not, it's not a small store, but instead of saying lingerie store for men, they put the largest pictures, and then now the way that, I'm going to be candid with you, and now the way that society is being encouraged to dress, there was a time when the pants that women wear nowadays used to be termed stockings when I was growing up, or pantyhose. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But now it's no longer, it's like, did you miss, did you forget the rest of the outfit? Am I being frank with you? And then, on top of that, then you have some women that said, well, he made a, he, he made a comment at me, and I thought, lady, his mind is messed up, but you ain't dressing right. My good friend, Pastor Bachelor, said, now, which is worse, a man lusting after a woman or a woman dressing to activate thoughts of lust in a man's mind? Both are the issue. Women ought, to profess, women ought to dress like women professing godliness. And men's minds ought to be conditioned. So here's where the control your thoughts come in. And I've said this to my wife. I said, honey, because it's in the mall doesn't mean I need to look at it. Job said, read this in Job. I'm going to find the text. Job says, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look upon the frame of a young woman. He's made a covenant with his eyes. You got to know, man, you got to know, you got to know where the devil is trying to gain access to your mind. And you got to say, honey, if I keep my mind on you and you keep your mind on me, you'll be the most beautiful woman in my life and I'll be the most handsome man in your life. Amen, somebody. Control your thoughts. The television, you might be watching, you might be watching an innocuous television program, but the commercial comes and you think... I'm talking about this in the morning at 11 o'clock. Everything, everything in our world is designed so that the thoughts and intents of our hearts can be only evil how? Continually. Remember the world we live in. And the devil is doing that not only to destroy the church, but he's doing that to destroy the marriage. Look what Ellen White goes on to say further. Oh, I just said that. You should control your thoughts. Oh, yes, right. Here's the next one. I'm going I'm to go, spend some time on this. What's number eight together what it is? marital affair. You want a direct, you want a short scripture in the Bible that remedies this? Let's read this together. Exodus 20, verse 14. Together, you shall not what? Commit adultery. Is that clear? Because the marriage has been given to us by God as a sacred keepsake. As the Lord promises not to turn his mind away from his church, the husband should covenant not to turn his mind and his heart away from his wife. In the very same way, the obligation goes both ways. And here's one of the things that we have to guard against. I'm going to make it very clear today. Because the devil knows how to get to, how to, get to a man's mind. The wise man Solomon, who had 700 women, 700 wives, and 300 concubines, said this. And I'll continue on this point tomorrow if our time uh, ends. Proverbs 5 and verse 1 to 3. My son, pay attention to my what? Wisdom. Lend your ear to my what? Understanding that you may preserve what? Discretion. And your lips may keep what? Knowledge. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. You know what that means? She says what she knows 
you want to hear. It sounds, and you say, well, my wife didn't say that to me today. She'll lie to you. She'll make you feel like you're Hercules and Superman when you know you're Pee Wee Herman. She'll tell you whatever she needed to tell you to pull you away from the veracity and the faithfulness of your marriage. But let's not forget the rest of this because, wives, because when, you, when you are redeemed from 700 wives, you got a whole lot of counsel. He continues, but in the end, she is what? Together, bitter as wormwood, sharp as a what? Two-edged sword. Her feet go down to what? Death. Her steps lay hold on what? Hell. You ought to read chapter 6. He says, by her, many of men have been reduced to a piece of bread. And then when the marriage falls apart, everything the man worked for is left for another man to enjoy. And all of a sudden, you're on the outside knocking on the door. Honey, let me in. Let me in. Please let me in. He goes on to verse 8. Remove your way, what? Far from her. And do not go near the door of her house. Today, the devil has taken up the notch. It's not just a problem in the world, but also in the church. Pornography, I was counseling some students around the world. I won't tell you where I was, but I was counseling some students that were preparing for the ministry. And the most, the, the, the deepest, darkest challenge that each of these men had as they were preparing for ministry were they were caught by pornography. And the pornography pollutes the mind in such a way that you no longer, and we're going to talk about this tomorrow, in the 11 o'clock as well as the 3 o'clock, you no longer can have a healthy physical relationship with your wife because you live in la-la land, in imagination. And you think that the woman on the screen is is going to give you pleasure, what you don't really realize is all she's going to do is sap your natural energies, waste the vitality that God has given to you to be shared between just you and your wife or you and your husband, and then you'll no longer be able to experience the simple pleasures of what it means to love in a godly way. That's what the devil wants to do. You know, the Israelites were safe as long as they stayed away from the Philistine women. Samson! Beat any man, brought down by a woman. David brought down a bear, a lion, and Goliath. A woman brought David down. Ahab brought down by a woman. If you think these men who are so much more close to perfection were able to be brought down, how much more do we need men to be careful? Can I get an amen? Be careful. All that glitters is not gold. The grass is not greener on the other side. If it looks like it, it's artificial turf. Amen? And you know what? Nothing is more damaging than having to fall into this transgression and try to find a way back when you have been so damaged and you have been so broken and you realize you've been made a fool of and you try to find a way back. Counsel to men. Counsel to men. Here it is, very quickly. I know we went over our time, but grace is a beautiful thing. Satan knows well the material with which he has to deal in the human heart. He knows, for he has studied with fiendish intensity for thousands of years the points most easily assailed in every character. And through successive generations, he has wrought to overthrow the strongest men, princes in Israel, by the same temptations that were so successful at Baal Peor 
all along through the ages, there are strewn wrecks of character that have been stranded upon the rock of sensual indulgence. Do not lust after the woman that does not belong to you. And I tell you what, you'll never find outside of marriage, but God is only blessed to be in marriage. Amen, honey? You'll never find over the fence what, what should be found only in your yard. But it's happening in the church. And I'm, just, I'm not going to go to the next point. I'm just going to finish this point. Counsel to women. Oh, counsel to women. L.Y. has something to say about it. I write with a distressed heart that the women in this age, both married and unmarried, too frequently do not maintain the reserve that is necessary. They act like croquettes, an old word meaning they act flirtatious. They encourage the attention of single and married men, and those who are weak in moral power will be ensnared. These things, Ellen White says, if allowed, deaden the moral senses, and blind the mind so that crime does not appear sinful. Thoughts are awakened that would not have been if woman had kept her place in all modesty and sobriety. And I'll, I'll share the rest with you tomorrow, but let me end with this story. I was down in Miami, Florida. Miami, Florida is hot all the time. All the time. I'm in a church doing a marriage seminar weekend. Friday night was families, Sabbath morning families, Sunday afternoon was just the men. The men said, Pastor John, please, we just want to talk to you. We have issues in our church. We just want men to men. So one gentleman stood up, pretty short guy, maybe the height of uh, Zacchaeus, and he said, Pastor, Sabbath morning is so tough for me in church. I said, why? He said, first of all, we live in Miami. Secondly, nobody really likes to wear clothes, even come to the church. Thirdly, the sisters, their tops are plunging, their shorts, the skirts are short, their heels are high, they don't wear stockings anymore, and when they're on the rostrum and the praise team, my mind is going crazy. I cannot think about Jesus. Can I be candid with you? So I said to him, I said, brother, what you need to do on Sabbath morning is lift up your eyes unto the hills from whence comes your help. He said, Pastor, look at me. That's my problem. When I lift up my eyes, I'm chest high with the women because he's a little guy. He's maybe about 5'11", four four, I mean 5'1", 5'2". He said, when, when I lift up my eyes, I'm right there. And it's so hard for me to look at her with the low top and think about Jesus. He said, what can you do to help me? I said, this is an issue that your church, if it's a praise team and people and leadership, your church need to do some kind of prayerful, first you got to pray, because you know what I don't suggest? I don't suggest you walk up to people that are weak and tell them how to dress. You know why? Because somebody may have come to your church just trying to find Jesus. But if you're in leadership or if you're in a position where you are of influence or you're before the people, there needs to be some kind of decorum for the rostrum. In our church, we don't have women on the platform with pants. They ought to be discreet. They ought to be women professing godliness and not dressing in such a way that you will not be reflecting the character and the decorum of a person who has a relationship with Christ. Amen? And the same thing for men. Here is my standard as a pastor. No standards for fellowship. Anybody's invited because we want everybody to come. 
but there are standards for membership and there are high standards for leadership. So here it is. Very serious topic today. We're not done yet, but here's my point. And I got to end with this text. Divorce, does God believe in it? No. Mark 10, verse 5 and 6. And Jesus answered and said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept, speaking about the divorce. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Jesus said, God hates divorce. The only reason why Moses allowed it is because of the hardness of the heart. And here's the problem. If somebody falls into transgression, whatever it is, let me tell you something. There is no depth to which a person can fall that God cannot redeem them and fix it and repair it. But too often we rather throw in the towel rather than fight, rather than fight to fix it. If you fight for each other rather than with each other, if you fight for what God has given to you rather than throw away what God has blessed you with, there will be more victories in the church than defeats. Amen? But if for some reason you have a second marriage or third marriage, God doesn't hate you. God can forgive anything. But whatever relationship you have, work through the difficulties of it so that God can be praised. Because Satan is coming after the church and he's doing it one marriage at a time. If he can break us down, we'll never be a place where the presence and power and righteousness of Jesus is reflected. Amen, somebody? Said a lot today. I hope you take it in a way that the Lord and the Spirit of God can communicate it to you. We have a few more tomorrow. We're going to go to the 9 and 10, and then we're going to talk about how to resolve it. All right? Let's pray. You know, I want to do something different. Honey, could you come here, please? I'm going to have my wife pray today. Let's bow our heads. Our gracious, loving, heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for each family, couple that's represented here. We thank you for love because love is of God and God is love. We thank you, Father, for sending Jesus to die for us. And Lord, a lot has been shared here today. And I pray that we will take it to heart. And truly, you can forgive anyone, no matter how far they have transgressed. There is hope. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone that have gone too far, that let them know that it's okay. You can come back. And I pray for forgiveness in the spouse's hearts for their husband or their wives, that you will just help them to move on because you have a greater plan for them. And I pray that their love will be stronger than it has been before. So, Lord, thank you for your redemption. Thank you for your forgiveness. And I pray, Father, that as we live and learn and grow, that heaven will be beautiful, that as we make the kingdom, as we walk in the streets of glory, we will look at each other and say, praise God for victory in Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And we ask a blessing upon us. Bless my husband. And bless the work he's done. He's done so much. He hasn't gotten much rest. But Lord, thank you for him. And thank you for the wisdom you have given him from on high. And I pray that each couple would pray for each other. 
that they will look to you and pray not just for each other, that they will pray together, but also separately pray for each, for each one for one another. Thank you, Lord, for your love and your guidance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.